0: Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird Podcast, exploring life, one story at a time. Hello friends, I'm Daniel Schurl. Today on the show, they're a married couple raising four kids here in the United States. Their youngest child, Declan, was born with CCMV or congenital cytomegalovirus, which eventually led to cerebral palsy. Now, after having spent several years raising a child with CCMV, they have a website and a podcast to not only help other parents of the world understand the disease, but to share important information about CCMV and hopefully be a resource that they wish they'd had when they first started this journey today they're here to share their story and help spread awareness. So please welcome Katie and James Ho. Hey guys, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you for having us. Yep,
0: Doing good here too. Thank you. I want to thank you both for joining me and I want to thank you first of all for having the courage to publicly talk about this and tell your story because I think it's so important. I'm going to jump right in with a couple of fun questions first. Where are you both from?
1: I'm from originally St. Louis, Missouri, but I was mostly raised in Kansas City.
2: And originally Taiwan, mostly raised in... small town southwest Missouri. So what do you guys each do for a living? So I actually am in insurance for like doctors and hospitals. Um, So like medical malpractice, car issues that they get themselves into, sexual harassment, like insurance person for doctors. And Katie, what about you?
1: So I was a teacher for many, many years. And I was an administrator working specifically with student support services, which is um, accommodations for students with learning issues. And now I am a stay-at-home mom.
0: Awesome. Now, how long have you guys been together?
1: 2006.
0: Yeah. That's great. Well, congratulations. And I'm just curious, how did you meet?
1: Well, we actually both switched to education as a major when we were, I guess, well, James must have been in his third year. I was in my second year at the University of Missouri. In Columbia? Yeah. So everybody who switches has to take this this big class called immersion, where you get the three classes that you would have taken spanned over your freshman year in one big class and lecture setting. So it's like, I think it was an eight hour class or something like that. So we were in that class together. There weren't a ton of people. And I noticed him and I was like, oh, you know, whatever. That's interesting. He's in like a a military uniform. And then we went to our next class, which was um, 20th century American history. And he was in that class too. So I was like, I should be friends with that guy because then we can study together. And so I went and I sat next to him and like, I'm very, I guess, loquacious. He's very quiet and reserved. So he probably thought I was just like this crazy person sitting next to him, talking (laughs) to him and like, being like, what's your deal? What's your last name? Why are you in that military uniform? All this stuff. So anyway, we just were friends for a long time in college And actually, we were gonna both student teach together for the Department of Defense in Italy, which was my idea. And James was like, that sounds awesome. Put my name on all that paperwork you've been spending so much time on. (laughs) (laughs) So I put his name on all the paperwork and we were both gonna go to Italy and it was gonna be super cool. And I was actually dating this other guy at the time and we have been dating for seven years and he was starting medical school. And I was like, oh, I don't wanna go away. It's gonna be too much stress on the relationship. So. I met James at like Chick-fil-A in the student union and he was like well I I don't really care if you're going can I still go and I'm like yeah you can still go so he had this amazing European experience and I student taught at my brother's high school in Kansas City and then my boyfriend and I broke up about a month later and (laughs) James (laughs) took me out to say thanks for making it possible for me to go to Italy and the rest is history.
0: When he showed up to take you out to Chick-fil-A to say, thank you. Did he, was he in his uniform looking like a sexy Asian (laughs) soldier?
1: No. So Chick-fil-A is where I told him I wasn't going. He actually showed up looking very handsome and he took me out on the plaza to like this Italian restaurant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been to the plaza. It's actually really beautiful.
1: Yeah, it is beautiful. So that was fun. But I just remember thinking like, did he look this good the whole time we were friends and I just never noticed. (laughs) So yeah.
0: (laughs) And by the way, my girlfriend, Jolene, is also a graduate of Mizzou.
1: Oh, cool. Oh, did
0: not
2: know that? Okay. Yeah. Oh. So tell me a, a brief summary of your family. You have four children. Yeah, so four children, uh, 13, 12, 6, and 4, kind of two pairs, right? The older pair are real close and the younger pair are real close. The older pair were born and, I guess, spent their first two to three years in St. Louis. And then we moved to New Orleans in 2010 when they were four and, well, almost four and two. I think to th- and then we spent eight years there. So I think to this day they think of themselves as New Orleanians. Um, we moved to Houston two years ago, so the younger kids were born in New Orleans, but we moved when they were two and three, four also. So they think of themselves as Texans. So
1: so it's it's boy girl girl boy is the right. order we have, and then our youngest Declan is the reason you know that we do our podcast. So he was born with something called congenital cytomegalovirus, and then that led him to having a lot of health problems and eventually a diagnosis of cerebral palsy.
0: And so that's what we're gonna talk about. Uh, Explain for the listeners, what is cytomegalovirus?
1: Sure, so cytomegalovirus is actually a really common virus in the United States, I believe. Gosh, I don't know the statistic, but it's a pretty, oh, I think it's like 80% of the United States population will have had it by the time they're 40. So when you get it and you're not in the womb, it's just like a pretty bad cold. But if you get a primary infection when you're pregnant, in about 10% of the cases, the virus can travel through the placenta and affect the baby. And then in about 10% of those cases, the babies are born symptomatic. And so that was the case with Declan. I unfortunately acquired it while I was pregnant with him. Um, So the most at-risk groups are people who have toddlers. And so our daughter, Elliot, was a toddler. She was in daycare. So that makes her at risk for getting just regular CMV. You shed CMV over the course of two years and you shed it through your bodily fluids. So tears, you know, saliva, urine, stuff like that. So really, I probably shouldn't have been like kissing her tears away when she was crying or like maybe should have been more thoroughly washing my hands after I changed her diaper, stuff like that. But- The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology actually doesn't warn pregnant people against CMV because Mm -hmm. they said the measures you have to take to avoid it would be too cumbersome and most people wouldn't follow them to begin with.
0: Sounds like the measures are a lot like coronavirus.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So we had never heard of it. And then at 34 weeks, the doctors just noticed some um, fluid on his brain in one of our scans. So then we knew something was going to be wrong. We just didn't know what was going to be wrong. So then he was born at 36 weeks and six days. And he was like almost six pounds, but he had like a really, like his stomach was enlarged because he had an enlarged liver and an enlarged spleen. Mm. He had petechia, which is red dots kind of all over his body. And then a lot of babies with it are born with um, microcephaly, which is like a smaller brain, but then also your head, also is smaller, which people are most likely um, associate that with Zika virus. So anyway, they diagnosed him with CMV, with congenital CMV, and he had to take a pretty strong um, antiviral medication called Valcyte for six months. And yeah, like most of the stuff, like the um, spleen and the liver all kind of worked itself out, but he did get, he has permanent blindness in one eye, excuse me, his permanent blindness in one eye um one of the biggest um side effects of ccmv is hearing loss which can happen at any time really over your lifetime if you're born with with cmv so what happens with the you know 90 percent of babies who are born asymptomatic like they go home and their parents think they're perfectly healthy and then at about two they can't hear, and the parents have no idea why. So usually when you have a hearing loss like that, it's a genetic cause. So then a ton of money and research goes into trying to find out why this child has gone deaf. Because if you're not diagnosed with congenital CMV in the first, I think, three weeks of life, they can't tell if it's congenital CMV or regular CMV. That's a lot.
0: Of <laughs> no, that's, that's all very important stuff to understand. Did you know about his condition before he was born?
1: we didn't know it was cmv until about three days after he was born because they had to collect they suspected cmv but wait wait. when it,
0: they told you there was like fluid in the brain what did they tell you it could have been and were you weren't you concerned at that point oh
1: yeah we were super concerned they just didn't tell us anything and then actually james was more concerned because we saw a specialist and he was like yeah there's definitely fluid on the brain but i'm more concerned about the heart and so obviously like we knew he was going to be sick and I was really stressed out about it, but you know, there's like not a lot you can do. You just kind of have to wait and see what happens when they're born.
0: So now Declan's born, they confirm a few days later what it is, and then what happens from there for you guys?
2: So I guess backing up slightly. So when we so said it was 34 weeks, they found that when they did the brain scan, there's ventricles in the brain. So it's like two empty spots that everybody has. For him, those were larger than they should have been at that level of development, and one was larger than the other. So they said, we don't know what's wrong, but this is not normal. Let's send him in for for an ultrasound. And the ultrasound, the doctor also said, I don't know what's causing that either. However, I'm concerned about the heart. So as patient, you know, as parents who, you know, are number three actually had a much more complicated, stressful pregnancy than, than Declan did. So all of a sudden, perfectly healthy up to 34 weeks. It's a brain issue. It's a heart issue, literally going into the delivery room. I don't know if Katie said it or if I told the nurses as you know, hey, he should he is suspected of having heart complications just as a heads up before we go into delivery.
1: So Declan had what was called a precipitous birth, which is extremely fast. So we got to the hospital and he was he was actually born fifteen minutes after we got to the hospital. So I didn't get any, you know, medical interventions or anything. So it was all happening very fast. And then, yeah, at some point, I think James was like, oh, by the way, he's going to be really sick when he's born. And they were like, what? So like the neonatologist came running in and she was actually chewing because she had been eating her dinner. And they called her in because he was just born that fast. And then so he was born to a room full of nurses. There was no doctor present except for that neonatologist. So
0: was there any concern that he was going to die?
1: they didn't tell us he was gonna die but i think that was obviously my biggest concern
2: the first week that we were in the nicu it was well the first few days were in the nicu my concern was we're watching the heart to see if it does what it's supposed to do if not we're doing like a short notice helicopter trip to dallas
0: so then you guys get hit with this news declan has congenital cytomegalovirus when you hear A piece of news like that, that's not just oh, this is something that will just take some antibiotics and get over it. This is now a forever thing, correct?
1: Well, So no, I really thought, like, what's the big deal? Just everybody gets viruses, right? Like, it wasn't explained to me that it was as serious as it was, Mm. except for my really good friend, Charlene, was an ER, or she is an ER physician in New Orleans, and so she made sure she was at the NICU with us whenever the doctors would be, like, explaining things, and so... I was just like, Charlene, I don't get it. Like, they won't let me hold him. They won't let him nurse. And she's like, Kenny, he has a central line. I'm like, I don't know what that means. She's like, basically, if it shifts, he could die. So that's why you can't hold him. And I was like, okay, like, that's all That's all I needed to hear. Like, I'll, I won't try to touch him at this point.
2: And what does the central line do? It's, it's a feeding tube. It does... Nutrients can go in, they can do, you know, medication goes in. It's like a it's like a super IV is my understanding. Okay. So once you guys got this news and this was a potential
0: lifelong thing you were going to have to deal with, how did that feel?
1: I think we dealt with it pretty differently. I tend to be what I call a realist and what James might call a pessimist. <laughs> so I think I definitely, you know, was like very depressed about the information because you know, you can't really tell what they're going to do when they're infants. And he definitely like he his neck was like stuck to one side. It was like he was always looking left and um, his body was just really rigid, but he was a good baby. Like as soon as he nursed, he was great at nursing and everything. But I just knew like I think from being a teacher like and and also being the director of student support services at two different schools, I knew how hard it was for a child with a learning disability and a cognitive disability And no one could tell me if his was a cognitive disability or a physical disability when he was an infant. Mm. And so we saw neurologists and, you know, everybody that we could see to get an opinion from And We even saw one neurologist in New Orleans who just was like, you need to stop wondering if he's going to ever walk because he's not. And like, you need to stop asking if he's going to go to school because I'm telling you right now, he's probably never going to even speak. Wow. So that was like.
0: That was very unkind. Devastating.
1: Yeah, it was devastating. And and I was like, you know, I think I went home. and I just didn't even go back to work that day. I just went home and I cried. But James is a super optimistic person. So he had a very different take on the situation.
2: The reason for the podcast was, you know, when we were going through those four weeks, three days, the first six months of Declan's life, there just really wasn't a lot to process. I mean, there was a lot to process, but no good way of actually doing that. Right. Again, we had... Happened to have in a medical doctor who was very close to us. You know, she didn't have to like couch her words. She could just be very honest with us. Um, so that helped. But part of the podcast is hopefully we can help somebody else who doesn't happen to have a friend who's an MD who just happens to work in the same hospital, who drops in in between breaks. Yes. But the secondary benefit of that is it's kind of given us a chance to reprocess it you know, with four years of hindsight. Right. Well, let's plug the website for a second. So your last name is Ho, H-O-U, yes.
0: and your website is the Ho-To Guide, play on words for the how-to guide, yes. and it's H-O-U-T-O-G-U-I-D-E dot com, the Ho-To Guide or the how-to guide dot com. I'm curious, were you guys scared when you got the diagnosis?
1: I think one of the things that made me scared when we first got the diagnosis before he was born was was I going to love him as much as I love the other kids Mm -hmm. because he's going to have like this disability. Like, like, am I going to bond with him? And I really did immediately, you know, bond with him. And then it kind of felt like it was me and him against the world. And I was really overprotective of him. I never wanted any of the kids at the house to touch him. You know, like I, it was, he was born November 8th. So it was around the holidays. We would like go, you know, gift shopping and I would just keep him really close to me because I was just so worried about, you know, what other people would think, what other people would say. So I was just very protective of him. And I probably, you know, affected mine and James's relationship and, and alienated him to a certain extent. Because well, and did it
0: alienate the other kids from you as well?
1: Probably which I feel super bad
0: about. Well, but I assume that's leveled out by now. Yeah,
1: definitely leveled (laughs) out now.
2: Well, James, how do you think you handled things? I think we deal with the unknown differently. For me, it was, you know, like, I don't know what's going on, but I do know that we have these two appointments and we have another one next week. And James, you have a military background.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Do you go into,
2: you know, task-oriented mode? Maybe. I mean, right, it's so hard to tell, like, why people approach things differently. I didn't know what was, where things were going to end up, but I knew what was happening next week. Right. So it was easy to focus on, on next week.
0: Right now, for any listeners out there who are dealing with this, who maybe it's fresh for them or their families are just new to this thing. What's like the number
2: one or two piece of advice you'd give them? <laughs> as, as awkward as it is to say, I think, I think our podcast does kind of fill a gap we didn't know other special needs parents. And I think every special needs family kind of goes through this on their own. You know, you Google, hey, my kid has insert issue here. And, you know, you hear, you, know, you get directed to WebMD, first of all, then you get kind of the Mayo Clinic, all of which, you know, there's back and forth about how good any of that information is. But that's not what you care about as a, as a parent, right? Like you want to talk to another parent because all of the medical stuff i think we understand it but like that's not what you're worried about right it's like oh like mm-hmm. what does this do for our family what does it do for the kids you know like what is his first day of school going to look like WebMD does not cover that the mayo clinic does not cover that so that's kind of the, the genesis of why we did the podcast well in essence you're looking for the what to expect when expecting Four, book
0: yeah. of yeah. Exactly. cytomegalovirus or whatever right yeah exactly.
1: and i would say too to like Take care of yourself mentally also which like you know depending on like your culture could be taboo but james and i at one point actually did do couples counseling and i think it helped a lot because like for me i couldn't understand why he wasn't like sad and scared but for like you said with like i don't think he realizes that he goes into military mode but i think he definitely does um and so to a person who wasn't in the military it seems like they don't care or they're heartless but really he's just trying to like you know, cross all these things off the to-do list in order to get to the next page. Well, it's
0: actually the opposite. They care so much that they're just trying to get you to the next thing yeah. to get through this thing. It's, it's a gesture of love. Honestly, that's what I've, I have a lot of friends in the military. So well, and that's
1: what we found through counseling too. Um, and we didn't go for very long because quite frankly, we just didn't have a lot of time to devote, you know, like an
0: You're so sick because we're just so awesome. An
1: hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it completely changed. Any resentment that I had towards him, and also, like, especially if your child is sick or has a disability because of, like, something kind of that you've done, like, I, as, like, and people are like, oh, it's not your fault, but, like, I caught a virus, and it passed to him. So, of course, I blame myself. Also, I'm Catholic, right? So, it's like that Catholic guilt (laughs) is, is raining down on you. So, I definitely had a hard time talking about it with people and accepting help and and support and so probably i should have seen like even just an individual counselor to process all of that
0: so you guys are dealing with all this stuff you've you've gone to therapy you've kind of found each other again through all of this stuff and once you were on the road to dealing with this and living with it and everything what made you decide to want to make a website and
2: a podcast and try to help other parents again we've been very lucky in in so many ways you know medically Declan's not as severe as he sh- could have been we had a really good support group why don't we help other people who are going through this kind right. of thing right and so like i think we saw kind of a way to frame i, I don't want to say support group but right it was what we were missing right a way to frame to be the people that we wish we would have had to talk to but not have it be so in in the best way possible right like a depressing story of like oh life is so hard Right. I mean, I, I don't know if you've like listened to any of the other podcasts on like disa- disabilities and special needs families. A lot of it is like how to plan for you when you're no longer around and your child still needs medical assistance. Right. <laughs> or like how to plan your will, like how to choose somebody who will take care of your child, how to deal with the loss of a child, which is important, but like we couldn't contribute another... Well,
0: you wanted to bring a positivity yeah. to the whole thing. Right. And, and I, I love what you said about you really essentially wanted to provide the resource that you didn't have when you were going right. through it. So I yeah. think
1: that originally the focus was going to be all travel.
2: Right. This was pre-COVID, right.
1: Yeah. So like we had done like a huge review on zoos, like different zoos and their friendliness for like, Not only accessibility, but also like affordability for families. We did a big thing on the Houston Museum of Natural Science, like we had a lot of things planned out that we were going to do. But then with COVID, it didn't seem as relevant, you know, to talk about, excuse me, all these different places that you could go and visit, which like you actually couldn't go visit, especially if you have a, a medically fragile child. So then it did transform more into, you know, interviewing specialists and talking about how to do virtual physical therapy in the most effective way Mm. with a little bit of travel still sprinkled in.
0: So where Declan's concerned, what are the biggest challenges for you today as parents?
1: So he has cerebral palsy. So he has the kind, and there's a scientific name for it, where it's basically his lower half. So it's equal disabilities on both sides, but it's his legs mostly that are affected by it. He also has occupational therapy issues, which is fine motor. I would say now that's probably his largest issue is um, using his hands to do things.
0: And he's blind in one eye. He's
1: blind in one eye. He has super slight hearing loss, but so far it's pretty good with that. He has trouble producing bile. So he's really, really skinny. So basically people with cerebral palsy, when they do an everyday task, they burn double amount the calories as a typical abled person so he's already burning way more calories than a normal kid his age but he also doesn't produce enough bile which produce which relates to weight gain so he's super duper skinny and then um oh he's sensory seeking which a lot of times kids with um like brain injury can be sensory averse so like they don't want to put their hands in sand and stuff like that Declan loves sensory experiences so like roller coasters. He loves to go fast. He loves to do jump. He loves to jump. He loves to do all these things, but it also results in, um, with food, he puts way too much in his mouth at one time called overstuffing. So he actually chokes a lot. He's
0: not the only one. I have that problem too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's his biggest issue for me, for him going to school full day is he has to have an, a. I have, I'm very like just very direct with the school about this. Like he has to have an aide with him at lunchtime because he will choke. I've had to do the Heimlich on him twice already, to the point where like he was turning blue. It was legitimate choking.
0: Now,
2: how, how's his mental cognition? Oh,
1: he's super smart. He's actually already reading.
2: That's great, right? So kids get tracked a certain way, and we wanted him to the extent possible to be in kind of the normal track, the normal classrooms. I think men- like cognitively he can keep up. Again, I mean, he's reading at four. I think kindergarten is probably very different now than when the three of us were in school. So I no think doubt. he'll probably get through kindergarten okay. I'm thinking like fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. When kids it's start to become cruel, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's honestly my biggest concern. I mean, I don't think I think he might be one of those kids that when there's a problem on the board and nobody answers, the teacher might call on him because he will know the answers. Which is again, all fine and good until fifth grade, and then right. So like that's a future problem. For right now, I have very little concern about him. Obviously, like choking at lunch is, is a big deal, but for, sure, for I'm sure. not as concerned about him. Well, well,
0: let me ask you a question. And just to circle back for a second, this all happened because, Katie, you got the virus while you were pregnant, correct? Yes. But you don't know specifically how you actually caught it.
1: I do not know.
0: So is there a way for women who are pregnant, let's say someone's listening to the show now and they're three months pregnant, is there a way for them to be tested to make sure they don't get this virus, or if they do, to, can, can it be dealt with if you know ahead of time that you have it?
1: So, you can, if you know you're of childbearing age, you can get tested for CMV. And if you're CMV positive, then you actually don't really have anything to worry about when you get pregnant. If you're CMV negative, and then you get pregnant, then you just have to be more careful. But if you get tested for CMV when you're three months pregnant, they have no idea if it's a primary inf- and you have it. They don't know if you like got it while you were pregnant or if you got it before you were pregnant.
0: So to all pregnant women out there or women planning to get pregnant, they should get tested before they get pregnant. They
1: absolutely should. And I even have a friend at work who did ask for the test. They're like, you don't have anything to worry about because it's super rare. And she goes, well, my good friend at work got it and I want to be tested. And she actually found out she was negative. And she did also have a toddler in daycare. So when she became pregnant, she just took extra precautions because she... You know, like knowledge is power, right? So she was aware that it was a thing. And so she knew to ask about it. But most women don't even know to ask about it. You know, we get tested for all these other things and they give you a million things to not do when you're pregnant, but they don't warn you about, you know, CMV and how to avoid it.
2: Part of your question was, right? Like, what does a pregnant woman do? Part of the mechanism, and again, the, right, like not medical doctor, our understanding is explained to us. So the three of us that are on this call right now, it's so prevalent that probably all three of us have had exposure to CMV and we are carrying antibodies. Well, and for the listeners, uh, CMV
0: is a member of the herpes family, is, yes. correct? Yes. Because it's also true that most of the population has been exposed to the herpes right. virus at this yeah. point. Exactly.
1: And even so, like the 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 one that causes cold sores and stuff too. Like there's so many different types. Well, of- Well, people
0: hear herpes and they yeah they only yeah. think of genital right. herpes, which is it's a huge family of viruses. It's not just genital herpes. Right. It's cold
2: sores. It's yeah. a bunch of things. Yeah. So we've, again, three of us chances are good that we've all been exposed. The issue with pregnancy is Katie, even though it's, you know, it's 80% of adults over 35 or whatever had been exposed. She had not been despite having three other kids, despite also having a toddler with our first child when she was pregnant with our second. So it only affects the baby. If you get it for the very first time while you're pregnant, Katie was in her early thirties and when everybody would have already been exposed, she had not been. And for that tiny nine-month window with Declan, all of a sudden she was.
0: And I see what they're saying, like the chances of that happening, the odds of that, those all those things aligning for the that shitstorm to hit. Right. Is, is Yeah.
1: It actually, one in every you know. 200 babies in the U.S. is born with CMV. Right. So it makes me wonder, honestly, if it could be a reinfection thing too. Just given the numbers of people who who have been exposed to by the time they're 40 years old, the numbers are so low and it doesn't make any sense. And this is just like a conspiracy theory. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I'm one of five kids. I have a little brother. I have worked in daycares my whole life. I have worked in education my whole life. I was a nanny all through college. I babysat in high school. I was around kids. So if anybody should have had it, I should have had it by now, right? right? By the time I'm 30 years old, but for some reason, I didn't have it. And we really don't know because I wasn't tested for it before pregnancy. So we don't know if really, I really didn't have it or if I, did. it's just bizarre. Right. And
2: obviously without knowing about it, nobody goes in and asks to be tested yeah. for it. Right. The other kind of, I guess the, the silver lining to Declan, right? Like, like you said, like so many things had to kind of line up for it to even happen during that nine month window. The benefit was Declan kind of was right at the edge of having symptoms at birth that were detectable, but not severe symptoms. Because what Katie had said earlier is, had he been born without visible symptoms, nobody would have cared. We would not have not have put him on an antiviral. He would have just gone home, right? The next day, two days later.
0: But things would have gotten a lot worse for him, correct? Things would
2: have gotten worse, and we would have missed that window to treat it as an antiviral as a newborn. So let's
0: summarize. What do you recommend parents do? or Or Family planning, people are saying, hey, I think we want to have kids. They should get tested. The the female should get tested for, I should say, the child bearer (laughs) should get tested for CMV. Definitely. And then if they have it, they are fine.
1: That's what all the research says right now, yes.
0: And if they don't, then they should be very very careful during the pregnancy. Especially
1: if they work in a daycare, work in a hospital, or have a toddler who's in a daycare setting. They should wear gloves when they change diapers and stuff like that.
0: Well, so do you have on your website a list of things that people should, in that situation, do?
1: I don't think we have it as a blog, but we definitely have it in the notes for our... Um, when We did one podcast about Declan's CMV story, and also we interviewed another friend whose son had CMV um, who actually did end up with hearing loss, and then we also interviewed Dr. Demler. So it's definitely in the notes for all of those, but... I will add a post because that's actually a good idea that hasn't occurred to me.
2: Yeah. As much as we talk about like how rare it is for that nine month window to happen during that nine month window, it is like, again, one out of 200 or something like that. So it's it's the leading
1: cause of, um, uh, genetic, non-genetic disabilities in the world.
2: Well, that's not so rare. Yeah. One out
0: of 200 is not, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. I don't know where people are thinking that's rare. That's, uh, that should be
2: addressed as far as I'm concerned. And and states have right? Like a lot of, A lot of states have started to address it. um...
1: Well, they've started to address it in after the fact, after the baby's born. So you know, all states have mandatory hearing tests for babies. If a child fails, some states will now test that child for CMV automatically. And some states have said, okay, we're gonna put literature in the OBGYN's office about CMV. But most of the time, if you're in an OBGYN's office, you're probably already pregnant. Uh. So there's like not a lot you can do to avoid it, right? So really, I think it's it creates fear because you're like, oh, crap, I'm reading this, but I've already changed my kid's diaper. Right. So then and that's not healthy in pregnancy either. So I do see both sides of it. Like you don't want to be scared your entire pregnancy. And, and, and Declan
2: would have passed the hearing test, which would not have triggered further screening mm. people. I mean, it's a complicated problem, obviously, and the science is not all clear cut yet. So, I mean, states are trying to do it. You know, if states and doctors can't figure it out, I don't know that we have right <laughs> <laughs> the answer either. I think part of it is like just having like a more direct conversation because OBG. I mean, most medical doctors know about it. The other CMB parent that we have interviewed, her doc, her dad was like a cardiologist, maybe. And when she mentioned it, he's like, "Oh yeah, like I know."
1: Like
2: CMB has nothing really to do with card, like an adult cardiologist.
1: But he knew about. But it's
2: it. widespread enough that the medical community knows about it. You know, there's so many things that they're supposed to be worried about that I understand that they're not going to throw number 57 on the list also. But if parents ask, usually the medical doctors know quite a bit, then they would have just randomly offered up on their own. I'm very curious how you guys
0: dealt with the stress on your relationship at the beginning and what advice you can give to other parents that might not be dealing with the same thing.
1: So I don't know. I mean, definitely it was stressful. I think we just kind of went into our own modes where I was you know, on maternity leave. So I was taking care of the baby. He was working. Like I said, um, we did end up doing counseling. And I think that helped a lot because we dealt with the situation in such opposite manners.
2: And James, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think between two people, right? Like there is no normal, right? Everybody just does their. Own. So I think like having a community does help kind of an impartial third party that's been there before or is currently going through it also. Not that I'm looking for backup or whatever, but it's just Okay, like there's another way of looking at this that's helpful instead of like people getting tied into their way. Part of the longer term goal for the HOTU guide is there are special needs communities all over the place, but there's no like umbrella group. So in Louisiana, in New Orleans, I had an adult mentor through work, and his son is my age, but had gone through significant medical issues. Early also, so he kept telling me like families helping families is the organization you go to. Mm. Like they were a huge help to me. You should go talk to them. If you Google families fam- helping families, like that's just such a generic term that you know there's like the local food bank of whatever Boise, Idaho calls themselves families helping families. So you're and hoping you,
0: that the that your website will become a place that can help people with a specific
2: issue, or just like for people to say hey in Southwest Missouri in Central Ohio the equivalent of Families Helping Families of New Orleans is called, right, Special Needs of Central Ohio. Because right now there's no way of knowing that.
1: Yeah, I would I would like to have a directory eventually. Yeah, like,
2: like a directory, yeah. The, the, like yeah. right now we have a directory great, of yeah. like
1: all the national forests in different states, you know, and like a directory of the of the state parks and the requirements to get an access pass. So in that same vein, I want to have a directory of like these are the resources in your state.
0: Right. I'm curious how have the other kids handled everything with Declan?
1: They're really good with Declan, they're very very protective of him. They love him a lot. I think our oldest son has had the hardest time with it because he desperately wanted a little brother and then he got one but you know it wasn't necessarily what he thought it would be. And he's so sweet. I love oh, I love all my kids. Conaghen's so sweet because he's this weird like awkward 13-year-old jock, right? So we he like comes home and talks about like punching other kids and their privates and like, Oh, it's fine. Mom, everybody on the football team does it. So he's like, (laughs) there's that side of him, but then there's this side where, you know, he's thrown around the football at the park and a little kid comes up and wants to play. And then he plays with the little kid for, you know, an hour. And then he comes home and he says, it made me so sad because I want to do that with Declan. So it's like, Oh, he has this big heart and then the girls are just you know nurturers
2: again i think we've been very lucky um yeah i mean that, that's really what i always come back to is like we're very lucky like our big kids are very good with declan declan's issues whatever they are are not as severe as so many other people well i'm curious what does his
0: future look like is there is this going to get any worse or is it do you think it's, this is it
1: Well, actually it's interesting you should ask that. So it's almost the one year anniversary of his surgery that he had called a selective dorsal rhizotomy. So a selective dorsal rhizotomy is where the doctor removes the backbone and then tests the nerves in your spine, like in your back and clips the overactive nerves that cause spasticity. So Declan has had too much tone. So now he's learning to walk using muscles, whereas before He looked like he was walking, but really it was his spasticity propelling him forward. What I didn't know going into that surgery is that even though he was walking as a kid, by the time he was in his twenties, he would have been wheelchair bound. The hope is, you know, now that that spasticity is removed that he will gain muscle. He will learn to walk the proper way and that he will walk that way for the rest of his life. But people with cerebral palsy, they do go downhill in terms of mobility. Even if it's a mild case, like the person, one of the people we're interviewing with is um, Todd Williams. He's the PT with CP. And <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome. So he's got an Instagram page and everything. And he ran the New York Marathon. And we talked about this because he actually did not have selective dorsal rhizotomy. And so he knows like his in his future, there's a very good chance he will be wheelchair bound.
0: Now, is there any kind of shortened life expectancy with people with uh, CP or or this? Virus. I
1: think that there can be because of underlying health conditions that can go along with cerebral palsy, but cerebral palsy is such a large umbrella that I don't really know. Like, I know some people have lived to be in their 70s, like a normal, you know, life, and some people have had such severe underlying health conditions that they haven't. Declan does sometimes get a little respiratory issues when he's sick. That's why I'm not sending my kids to school right now. Um, but other than that, he's actually very, very healthy. So I think CP is such a broad, condition that it's hard to Hmm. say really does that make sense
2: and and that's part of again like i feel like i'm plugging the podcast a lot but you know you you and i that's that's your job go ahead plug away (laughs) 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 so most parents of special needs children do not themselves have special needs Um, and that's kind of something that we're discovering is right we call ourselves special needs parents but what does that make declan when he's a parent with special needs right so like The terminology is vague and very fluid. So part of the goal of the podcast, and again, if there was another resource that we just don't know about yet, we'd love to know about it. Um, So like Todd, Todd as somebody with CP who's an adult, who will potentially go through this change in his life, he's the only one that can have that conversation with Declan that Katie and I will never have. Right. I went through law school with a friend who was like an 18-year-old pilot and then at 19 started losing his sight. And obviously, like sight is the most important thing as a pilot. Right? So like you have a child who is so driven that he did all that by the time he was 18. And then it was like six months later, all of it goes away. I, you know, I, I, I had some conversations with his, with his parents, but still like I have more in common with his parents than with him as my classmate. So that's part of, right, like the podcast, we know, we talk CMB because that's what we know. But Todd can offer so much more. Yeah,
0: what an invaluable resource. That's amazing.
2: Right. And like, there's really just not that, right? And like, you know, we're kind of getting smart in that community. Um, like, we do want Declan to have special needs adult models. But so, so that's kind of... We don't have the answer for that either. (laughs) Hopefully, like the podcast becomes a community or again.
0: Well, I was going to say, you don't have to have all the answers because having this resource and what you've done and created is such a fantastic way to help find those answers and have the support of all this community around the world. It's an international community, you know, it's that's fantastic. Well, and we just
1: don't want to limit him in terms of what he can do. Like, we're fully prepared for him to live at home for the rest of his life, but. Maybe it's going to be Connigan who lives at home for the rest of his life. Like you have no idea what your kids are going to do, right? So just not holding him Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm the youngest of seven kids. And I got to tell you, I was the one stuck at home for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Someone asked me the other day if my mother had a house like in a nice area of the country and she had a small guest home would I ever consider going back home? And I said, are you kidding me? Like being near my family, but far enough away to have my own place, but I get to hang out with my mom and have free rent and someone doing my laundry? Let's do that right now, yeah. Sure.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious.
0: (laughs) Well, how has COVID actually affected your situation now with the pandemic continuing and cases on the rise a little bit? Uh, Do you guys have to be extra careful with him because of it?
1: We are because, you know, cerebral palsy is considered an at-risk community for COVID complications, we don't know really if he's gonna be at risk or not. So I just keep him home.
0: And is that difficult for you as a parent?
1: No, I mean, I love my kids. Everybody loves their kids, obviously. I am especially equipped, I guess, to help them with virtual school because I was a teacher for so long. So I definitely feel for those parents who you know, are like a banker and then all of a sudden their kids are at home and they have to help their kids with school Mm -hmm. and they don't know how. I'm enjoying it. I ha- we also have a daughter with asthma, and 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 she her allergist said like she would be one of the kids who ends up intubated if they caught COVID. So we just keep them all home.
0: Well, let's talk about a couple of uh, worldwide and personal questions. How do you guys feel about the state of the world today as parents?
1: Well, right now, you know, with COVID, Declan can't go into in person um, therapy, and I just want to shake people and tell them to put their masks over their noses because he's the only guy has six years post op to to. To make gains?
2: Declan is able to function in a virtual setting. It's not as good, but he's able to do it. So yeah, I mean, again, obviously terrible all around. We are kind of like, we are very grateful that Declan is able to kind of stay above water despite challenges. Um, Again, things could have very easily gone the other way and if
0: his condition was a little bit worse. Well, I mean, gratitude is a wonderful thing. And I, I think your awareness of that is awesome. And the ability to spread that to other parents and be thankful for the little things, you know, I read a great quote once that said, be very thankful for all the things you don't have. Right.
2: Exactly.
1: But also, I think it's a scary time to be a woman. I think it's a scary time to be non-white. Um, you know, James.
0: In America. Yeah,
1: in America. And James came over as an immigrant. You know, he only got his citizenship, what, in college, James. three yeah so when they when issues are floated about like taking people's citizenships and stuff away it just it scares me right when covid happened i was driving back from missouri with the kids all by myself and we were in um, a gas station in texas and somebody like made asian i don't know how to say it like they pulled their eyes into slits towards my my oldest son conigan so like stuff like that like he's 13 years old why are you you know he's born and raised here
0: Most definitely. Well, Katie, if you were elected president of the United States of America tomorrow, what are the first three things you would do?
1: Oh, three things. Okay. Well, I would probably work on just like public education.
0: Public education, one. Number two.
1: Okay, number two. Gosh, I don't know. This is a hard question. Um, I guess I would make social services more readily available for people who need them.
0: Awesome. Number three. Oh, man.
1: Oh, universal health care. Yes. Does that fall under social services or can that be separate?
0: It can be separate. Okay. That's wonderful. Yeah. James, what about
2: you? first three things as president, the first Asian president of the United States. <laughs> right. It's basic uh, universal basic income, right? A thousand dollars. Everybody is what the first Asian president would have yeah. wanted had things gone the other way. Um, yeah, I'm down yeah. for that. <laughs> um, yeah. Like healthcare. care education I mean honestly
1: <laughs> can't just take mine
2: we're very lucky and like we've benefited from all of that so I think not everybody yeah. has the same access. so wait so healthcare education
0: and what's your third thing you would do just like very broadly I guess opportunity James do you think that the human race will survive and have a bright future are you are you optimistic I am yeah yeah
2: I think so you know, the pendulum swings yeah katie
1: (laughs) naturally the pessimistic person i don't know i mean i i think of like the book children of men and i'm like oh my god is that where we're headed right now so i i don't know i hope so
0: what's the first book you read or movie you saw that made you cry
1: oh rudy the movie rudy
0: do either or both of you believe in god
1: i mean i do i'm religious to an extent of like a pick and choose catholic right
2: okay catholic light
1: catholic light yes
2: diet catholic okay (laughs) james short answer probably no um but but grateful for things that work out so okay dogs or cats which one do you prefer dogs same yeah do either of you have a favorite food
1: it's pretty much like anything italian
2: katie makes a soup that's like the the knockoff version of the, the the olive garden Zupa Toscano, (laughs) but it sounds really trashy when I say, like, my favorite meal is the unlimited soup at all (laughs) of You know, I don't think it does. I think that's awesome. You know, we were, um, I
0: I think the listeners have heard this story before, but I was in Portugal working at this international gourmet food festival with all these Michelin star chefs, and I was interviewing Massimo Batura, who's this world famous, you know, Italian chef, and we asked him, so you make all these incredible foods, what's your favorite thing? And he kind of looked to the side and got all sentimental, and he goes, uh, you know, it's uh, just a simple ravioli that my mother used to make. Aww. And it's like, I think when human beings reduce their whole lives down to things, we, we can reduce them down to these very, very simple things, you know. Uh, are either of
2: you afraid of dying?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I am. Mostly because I don't want to leave my kids.
2: Yeah, we talked about Right. Like the, the planning for kids, um, definitely very concerned. Right, Like there's a lot to do between now and then, especially for, for number four. So,
0: yeah. Do you think you weren't
2: afraid of dying before you had children? I guess personally, no, except for like work left undone.
1: Right. So
0: if either of you could tell your younger selves, anything you transport back in time to when you were like 15 or 20, what would you what would you tell young Katie and young James?
1: Um, I guess just it's going to, you know, things get better. It's hard to be... Well, you know, you're one of seven. It's hard to be one of many. And maybe, like, when you're the younger set, you're not maybe given as much attention as the older ones and stuff. So, life always gets better.
2: James? Probably I'm the opposite of what Katie said. Like, teenage boys... Things are going to get worse, little James. Enjoy it teenage boys. Don't talk to that
1: girl in education <laughs> class. No, I'm just Teen- Teenage
2: boys do stupid stuff. I probably could have been yeah. nicer to people as a teenage boy in hindsight. So I could have been the make it better instead of like doing stupid stuff that teenage boys do, so.
0: What do you think is the purpose of art?
1: I think it's to maybe, how do I phrase this? It's to like express ideas that maybe words can't necessarily put justice to.
2: James? I I think I'm the same way actually. Just make sure you reverse this in editing so that I said it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> not fair, James How? Um, you cannot I, copy my James, answers. James,
2: what is. <laughs> but that's a compliment. You have great <laughs> answers. James, what does success in life look like to you? I think raising like happy, functioning, well adjusted kids. Um, right, like, as adults, we all carry baggage, but if I can leave my kids with a little bit less, that's, that's a good life well lived. Katie?
1: So actually, I'm gonna copy his. It's raising good people, like people with hearts who give and who love and who don't judge other people.
0: And for both of you, what's your spirit animal?
1: I guess I'll say tiger because people joke that the kids are so good in school because their dad's Asian, but in reality, I'm the tiger mom. I'm gonna (laughs) say it's a tiger. Plus, it's Missouri Tigers, so.
0: There you go, Missouri Tigers. That's awesome. Uh,
2: James. Probably a dog, but specifically (laughs) our dog, who's just like super chill and (laughs) will just sit on the couch. I think in a perfect world, I would spend a lot of time napping on the couch.
0: (laughs) I, I love it. So at the end of the podcast, the thing I do with every single person is I play a game called 299 philosophical and life questions with Moonbird I have this list I've collected over the years of all these questions from 1 to 299 normally the interviewer picks two random numbers but I'll let you each pick one number so you each give me your number of the question you like and I will read you that question who wants to go first 55 55 where is your favorite place in the entire world to go hmm.
2: and to the bathroom is not an acceptable answer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably not a particular like a specific place, but I, I do enjoy being outdoors. Um, like normal life, work wise, family wise, is pretty hectic. Um, so this has been really good. Yeah, it's just a- yeah. outdoors is a great answer.
0: Okay, uh, Katie, what's your number between one and two ninety nine?
1: Seventeen.
0: Seventeen. Here we go. Oh, you already answered that oh, one man. on the podcast. Pick another one.
1: Okay, let me think now. That's hard to through two ninety nine. Two ninety nine.
0: Okay. What would your pet say about you if we asked for a reference? Oh,
1: that I am impatient and mean. (laughs) (laughs) That I don't like when they put mud on the couch.
0: You don't think they would say that they're very well taken care of and loved? I
1: hope that they would. They're both sleeping in their very fancy kennels right now. So yes, well taken care of and loved, hopefully.
0: (laughs) Well, in closing, is there anything else you'd like to tell people?
1: I
2: would say one, a lot of what we want to do with the website is kind of a crowdsourced, right? Like knowing the family support group of Ohio is not something we will ever know. Part of the challenge is if you Google special needs family Ohio, you're going to get like the Ohio family services page, right? which is very different than like what special needs parents can offer each other. So that would be the one if like listeners out there, you know, we would love a contribution of effort, but just give us like a starting point so that we could, you know, even if it's just, a nationwide directory of three organizations in small towns throughout the Midwest. That's three more than we have so far.
0: Well, so if any listeners out there are hearing this and they have some of this information, please contact James and Katie. It would be wonderful to add your information to their forthcoming directory.
2: Or if anybody is already doing what we're trying to do, but better, like we're more than happy to contribute. Like we're not in this so that we become like whatever, right? Like (laughs) it's not a contest. you know, it, it is very random, like who you run into. So it could be somebody who's, you know, been doing this for five years. They have a directory, they have whatever, and we just don't know about it. And it'd be helpful for us personally, instead of trying to build this out ourselves, kind of figuring out what's good for us, hoping it's good for other people too.
0: Katie and James Ho, I can't thank you enough for coming in today and sharing your story. For friends and listeners out there, remember, it's the Ho-To Guide or How-To Guide, dot com and sincerely wish you and your family the best of luck with everything you're doing
1: thank you very much thank for you. having us take care thank you you too
0: thank you <laughs> friends and listeners while you're out there visiting katie and james's website make sure you head over to patreon.com forward slash moonbird and throw a dollar our way to support the show every little bit helps us keep this going and if you'd like even more moonbird in your life and hey who wouldn't head on over to memoriesofamoonbird.com or visit me on social media at memories of a moonbird stay safe